everyone. Welcome to Unleashed with me, Dave McMahon. Glad you could join us. In the studio with me is Wolf Starchild. Uh, the guy's incredible. And we won't have enough time to cover everything that I want to talk about because he is so diversified. He has so many passions uh, and so many interests that, you know, and the podcast is generally only 45 minutes to an hour. So we're definitely going to have to get this guy back, and we haven't even started talking yet. <laughs> Wolf is a professional outdoor instructor. He is a survival instructor. He is a dog musher. Uh, he lives off the grid with a pack of dogs. How cool is that? A lot of you probably wish you could do that, eh? Now, yeah, so <laughs> Wolf also owns and operates a very successful uh, renowned survival school called Barefoot Bushcraft. Welcome to my podcast, Wolf. Hey Dave, glad to be here. I'm so glad that you are here. Uh, so, what's new with me? I just got back from Jamaica. And there are no random dogs in sight when I was there. No stray dogs. But you know what, Wolf? A lot of cats, a lot of stray cats walking around. Well, if there were stray dogs, it would fix the cat problem. If there were stray dogs, it would fix the cat problem. <laughs> exactly. How are things going with you, Wolf? Oh, busy, busy. It's uh, ramping up to be a good, a good busy season, as long as hopefully the rain will hold out. And, uh, yeah, the end of mushing season is upon us. So, unfortunately, when the weather warms up, we can't race dogs like I used to, which is sad for the dogs. But, of course, I, I absolutely love the, love the warm weather and uh, love the summer. Yeah. But uh, my passion is dog mushing, and I require cold for that. Yeah, I want to talk all about dog mushing. I want to talk about your survival school. But when you and I first met, we met through a mutual interest of dogs. And mm -hmm. uh, you came to me. You, you took some of my obedience classes. Mm -hmm. And I think you had fun doing that. I did, absolutely. Yeah, I was uh, a bit more involved uh, in with community dog stuff. I was working with St. John Ambulance. Yes. Uh, and I was a therapy dog uh, handler. So we took our dogs. They go through a training program at St. John Ambulance, and we send them out into the community. Um, and people like us who love dogs, who end up in long-term care facilities, they can't take their dogs. Um, and I couldn't imagine my life without dogs, so we did the best we could. We bring the dogs to them. Um, and then, uh, you know, we see huge changes in there in, in everybody's mood and demeanor when the dogs are around. So they love that. Then I got involved with the pet first aid program through St. John Ambulance, um, and taught that. So to basically life-saving for pets. Uh, and then I kind of took it to a different level and I created a program called canine crisis management, which focuses specifically on dogs in the wilderness. And I was fortunate enough to be an attendee at your canine crisis management workshop that you held at the Dave McMahon Dog Academy. That's right. And host the uh, event, which was very, very successful. And we've done a couple of these events with you where you taught more of a practical uh, wilderness sort of first aid response and more of a holistic response to first aid and I, I, I thought that your program was far more diversified uh, in the first aid department than some of the other courses I've taken. 
I wouldn't say it's more diverse. I would say it's just different. Mm-hmm. Um, as a wilderness person myself, I'm always away from help. So we define wilderness situation as three hours from help. Right? Most of us live in the cities. Your dog gets hurt or injured or, or comes down sick. It's very easy to just throw them in the back of the car and go to the vets, and the vet can take care of serious crisis. Yeah. Uh, but what if you can't? What if you're canoed and y- canoeing in and you're five days into the woods and your dog gets injured? And that was sort of the mentality of that of what if their vet isn't five minutes away or ten minutes away? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you, we all love that first aid seminar, and we're going to have to get you back to do another first aid seminar for dogs at the academy. So we need to chat about that sometime for soon. For sure. For sure. Your dogs, you're a big time dog lover, you're a dog owner, you're into dog mushing. Uh, tell my listeners about your dogs. Sure. Um, well, I guess I could, I, usually the question is how did I get into this? Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I was first became a teacher and an outdoor instructor, uh, I, winter came and I was out of work and then somebody was like, hey, there's a dog place that races sled dogs for uh like takes people on trips like you know how you go when you went to cancun you did zip line or whatever yeah this was dog mushing and i'm like oh i'm there i totally want to do that so i went up to the place they hired me um so i learned how to train and hitch and do all of the work that's required for dog sledding uh the facility that i was at they had 500 dogs on their facility holy shit (laughs) a lot of dogs we had a whole army of us of (laughs) staff that had to go every day give them belly rubs give them pets uh you know get make sure they had food water dewormers all that stuff and then customers like yourself would come out we would um we would hitch them up and we'd take you out into the woods with the dogs and i got out there my very first time i remember it was really really far north training sled dogs on city streets so i had 15 dogs and this cart thing um dragging me through the city streets like (laughs) passing cars and i'm like where's this been all my life so i gave up a lot of my outdoor pursuits for mushing uh, and i brought that spirit back to me when i left the position and uh, so now i had one dog and then i'm like well there we had lots so i need another dog and then you want another dog and then someone's like hey i heard you need sled dogs i've got some spare ones and then i have more (laughs) dogs and at one time i had a half team or six dogs yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you worked for this place that catered to the tourists to take the tourists out sled dogging, sled dog, right? Yeah. What would you call it? Dog sledding or mushing. Yeah, mushing, mushing or dog sledding. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, there's always that question, you know, do they treat the dogs okay? Is it humane? I mean, you have that public concern. Of course. There's been various articles written, uh, you know, in concern that some of these facilities don't take really good care of the dogs. In your opinion, without mentioning where you worked, do you feel that the dogs were well taken care of and and it's, well fed? It's a kind of a it's a it's a challenging thing that's multi aspects. Um, in one aspect, sled dogs that work for a facility are not pets. They're like military working dogs. They don't. By our pet standards, they don't get treated the same. So it's much like equipment. Um, That's right. Not to say that they get treated bad, like nothing bad happens to the dogs, but they don't, they don't, you know, they live, they live outside, they live penned up. There's government regulations and how long chains need to be and all this stuff. So if you are like the average normal person and you have one dog or two dogs uh, and they live in your house and sleep in your bed, it's totally different than, like you said, these dogs are equipment. Um, 
And, you know, my my team lives with me. I drive a bus, and they drive around with me in my bus, and they <laughs> sleep in my bed. But you can't do that if you have 50 dogs or 100 dogs or, or 12 dogs. Right, right. right. Uh, it becomes more of a challenge. Um, but they are well cared for. Again, what my job was to go out every day to every dog and make sure that they were in good health. If they weren't, they called the vets, and the vets would be paid to come out. Um, so it was relatively know. humane. Absolutely. Yes. You know, on that end of things, Absolutely. there was no, no suffering, you know, from no. the dogs. And then once the dogs reach uh, six years old or seven years old, they're what they call surplus. So me as a musher, I could literally go and say, I want those two dogs. And the owner would be like, they're over six, you can take them. Um, and then that's a whole challenge in itself to take an outdoor dog and domesticate them. But, yeah, take an um, outdoor dog, <laughs> domesticate them, and then have them as an indoor pet. <laughs> that's right. That's a um, trip and a half. Most people say that they're very destructive. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the, for the, my experience in the industry, you don't get into a dog industry if you don't love dogs. It's that simple. So everybody who works in the industry, like yourself, you're passionate about the dogs. You're passionate about the sport and the activity, and you have their best interest in heart. Yeah. Tell us about your personal pack of dogs. How many do you have? Um, sure. Pack? Right now, I, I used to have uh, uh, six I have uh, because they get old and they pass away. Yes. Uh, mostly huskies. Um, a couple of them have some race line in them. I got two fascinating story i had this lady message me on facebook and was like i have two dogs that failed um service dog training yeah because they're too lovey i'm like yeah. oh okay she's <laughs> like uh, would you like them i said absolutely i'll totally i'm looking for dogs yes but uh, she's like but i'm in south south carolina i'm like oh well i guess but like i'm not going to drive down to south carolina for yeah. two dogs she's like give me your address i'll see you in a in, in a week or two i'm like <laughs> Sure, whatever, whatever, lady. I give her my address. Sure enough, like three days later, at 9.30 at night, knock on the door, and I open the door, and there's a car in my driveway with South Carolina plates, and she's like, here's your dogs. <laughs> Hands me this paperwork. That's crazy. And I'm like, oh, my God, yes, this is great. Um, yeah, so I, I take good care of them, and then at some point, I was like, okay, I can't drive all my guys around in, in my car, so I ended up buying a surplus bus which I usually use to drive everybody around in and go to races and stuff. Yeah, so when um, you said you drive a bus, you're talking about it's a bus, but you're not a bus driver that's for school correct. kids or that's a right. transit driver. I mean, yeah, you're it's a retired bus. Yes, it's, yeah. a, it's this basically... This is the dog it's bus. It's a dog bus. It's actually called Husky Express. Yeah, this is the name you've given to <laughs> that's it? That's right. The Husky that's Express, right. you have that painted on the fucking bus? It is bus? painted right on the side, yeah, and there's <laughs> a... Uh, there's a giant sled dog, a steel sled dog on the hood as a hood ornament from an old truck called a, a Brockway Husky. Um, and I have cool. one of those on my Jeep, which I brought today. I love your Jeep. Um, I'm looking at it through <laughs> yes. the window. Very um, cool. Yeah. Now, I'm suspecting that you would feed your dogs a raw dog food diet. Yay or nay? Um, I, I would, but there's a lot of dogs, so I, I just go with dry kibble. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, what, what brand have you had success with? Um, I use a brand called Actrium, which ironically is made from Walmart, and it is a, it, it's not that expensive. It's a fairly inexpensive brand of dog food, but when you go on to dog food, uh, the websites that like categorize dog food, yeah. they say it's an above-average food for the cost. Okay. So you're getting like 40 pounds of dog food. Canadian, of course, um, for about $40, which is incredibly cheap. The higher-end brands, um, just off the top of my head, like Origin and things like that, they're $100 for that same amount, and they're a comparable food for the price. Yeah. Well, you talk about the big box stores selling, you know, dog food like you're feeding a Walmart brand. 
If you look at Kirkland, right? If you look at Costco, the Kirkland brand of dog food, I know a lot of dog breeders that are feeding that Kirkland Costco brand of dog food, and their dogs are doing great on it. Yeah, so. I know my, um, I talk to my vet, obviously, because the guys go to the vet at least once a year for checkups and needles and whatever. And the vets are like, normally I would say don't feed that to your dog, but your guys are really active. So, uh, again, like you were saying earlier, I live in an off-grid community um, on the coast of Lake Erie, right beside a big park. So I get up in the morning when I'm not uh, teaching, and I hitch myself up, and I have five dogs, and I we go for our walk, and we go for a walk in the in the woods and uh, five kilometers a day with everybody oh. and that's that's in the in the warm weather and then as it gets colder we move to something called a dog bike which is a type of training device and then if it gets snow then we're on sled it's crazy there's a lot of steps to it now yes. you also teach the dog mushing you will provide lessons i do for those who are interested absolutely um Dogs, as you know, are very specific breed-wise, right? You usually don't have to teach a husky to run. If you go to the Humane Society and you talk to them, almost everyone will say, huskies are the number one stray dogs that come in here because they get loose, right? A bored husky is a destructive husky. And that's true for most breeds. Um, so if you have a dog and you're interested in it, it's, it's, they are already bred to run. If you have one that's unsure, what I usually do is I'll hitch multiple dogs up, usually you know five or six, and then we'll put the new dog in the mix, and so they'll be beside or be around experienced dogs. And that will influence the greener one. That's right. Um, or if there's a, I don't know a behavioral issue, then I go in front, and dogs will naturally want to run and catch up to the dog in that's in front of them. So I'll take me and my team of two, and you would say on with your dog and your dog bike be behind me, and they will always run to catch up. Yeah, 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 great strategies. Now, aside from the innate instinct of the Huskies and what they bring to the dog mushing world, as far as that innate instinct of wanting to pull, you know, and be in front, what other attributes do you think uh, would make a good sled dog if someone's thinking about getting into dog mushing? So, oh, don't think Huskies. Um, huskies is a role. Mo if you watch the Iditarod, you won't see very many purebred Huskies in there. Okay. Um, there is a thing that, you know, if a dog becomes too purebred, then there's innate issues with them, right? Yeah. First thing that comes to mind is German Shepherds have hit problems. Yes. That may or may not be true, but you do see that in that purebred line. Um, people will grab, if you're into dog sledding, they'll grab different dogs that have different attributes. The number one thing is passion. I have a Malamute, who are also a sled dog, and he's big and lazy and he doesn't like to do anything so he doesn't really like running unless it's super super cold he's just it's just not his thing so yeah. they have to have that drive like humans um they're like you were talking about concepts of cruelty you can't push a rope when the dogs are in front of me if they don't want to run they will not it's that simple and my malmute just won't he just lags behind and he just won't run yeah uh, so they have to have that that so he's passion. a couch potato. That's right. Absolutely, he is. Yeah, <laughs> I always say he's a bit of a bum. Yeah, he's a beach bum. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a vagrant. <laughs> That's right. I mean, he makes a great service dog. Uh, you know, to go with me to into places, but he's not good for not good for running. So, um, so, so again, you need how many dogs to pull that sled? Typically, uh, you can do as an individual one. Yeah. You can have, if you have one dog um, and you're on skis, so it's called ski oaring, you get yourself a rock climbing harness and you clip it to you, special pulling harness for your dog, um, put that together and the dog will just, you'll take off and you'll go for a run. 
Um, you can also, you do have to be careful, like trying it on your own, it's, it's, it's the job. Especially if you have a really high energy dog, you clip them on that harness, you're going. And when you, when you stop and fall over, if the dog's at a good run, you're going to get dragged, which is half the fun. But you will get dragged, and it's, it's exciting. You know? But people can train on dirt, grass. I mean, yes. you know, they can it's practice. Like you were saying, we don't need the snow to practice dog mushing. That's right. Um, where I live, the park that I live near, they plow it every, in every winter. So even though we get lots of snow, I still use a special bike. It's called a paw trekker. They do build, they do build and design specific bikes for dog sledding. Uh, wow. And the reason is they don't have pedals, so there's no nothing for harnesses and rigging. <laughs> is this good right? or bad? They don't have pedals. Yeah, they don't. They have brakes. Hang on for your life, man. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. You hang on for your life, and away you go. White Wee! knuckle ride, <laughs> boys yeah. and girls. And it's like a, it looks like a big adult scooter. And it's like one leg sticks up in the air when you go, and they're they're ready. Um, and they and if the dogs didn't love it, they wouldn't go. You know, it's to the point where if I'm just in my house in summer and I have to move or I come across a dog harnessed and they see it, they just fly around the house and they get excited, right? It's just like these ser- uh, therapy dogs, you know, they get, when they have their either their harness or your uniform that you put on to go and do serve or therapy dog work, they get excited and they fly around the house, right? Yeah, my guys yeah. are the same. Now, do you sell some of the gear for those interested in getting involved in dog mushing? It's really complicated, so I usually direct people to go and go onto the websites of places that make gear because every it's like a pair of shoes right everybody takes a different style a different shape a different size uh there's a company called non-stop dog wear they make great outdoor ready-made harnesses uh if you want a custom-made harness for your dog and you want to spend a little bit more money and by money a good dog harness shouldn't cost you more than 50 bucks really they're cheap um, Shit, that's which not is bad. Cer- I, I, you can pay more for a collar than yeah. you can these running harnesses. So sled dogs run on something called an X-back harness, and there's an American company called Alpine Outfitters. You measure your dog with a tape measure. Um, you basically the dog. Uh, you send the measurements to them, and away you go, and they send you your harness in a couple months. Crazy. And, uh, very realistic. Very uh, reasonable, rather yes. in price. Yeah, and I'd, like I said, I think they they were the last time I bought one about. 35 to 40 bucks for the harness. Yeah, it's not bad um, at all. And that's handmade. So that to me that's an important important So thing. if somebody's interested you would uh, assess the dog. That's right. To determine yeah. if the dog is cut out to do dog mushing. That's right. And yeah. then private lessons can be arranged. Yep, yeah, yeah, we just do them right at the park uh, at Rock Rock Point Provincial Park. Lot there's about 5 or 6 kilometers of dirt path trail there. And away you go. And I've got we've got extra bikes for those who are like I really want to do this, you know, but I don't have a bike or they don't know what to buy. I've got extras. Um, yeah, nice, they, nice. They now, as you said, you live off grid. You've got your pack of dogs, uh, so you are fairly secluded, I would assume. That's right, absolutely. Can you run yeah. around naked on your property? <laughs> you and the wifey poo. Can you and the wifey poo run around naked or not? Yes, yes, absolutely. You can. I can. That's right. Right. And you won't. And you won't. Uh, you know, startle anyone. Well, you know, there might be some people that see, but that's their problem. <laughs> Often you are seen to be walking around barefoot. That's right. Please That's right. give us the seminar on this. Um, you know, I <laughs> seminar. <laughs> seminar. You know, there's all kinds there's of different s- reasons. Long before everybody was like, it must be the science. I, I just, you know, you just sort of step out of shoes and step into the wilderness is what happened as a as a, a friend in the industry told me once. And I just stopped wearing them, and then it's like, wow, well, we're I don't need them anymore. 
You know, it's like, I don't know, wearing short sleeve shirt. You don't think about the short sleeves and you're just like, I don't need long sleeves and gloves. And then it just sort of goes from there. Your body toughens up and away you go. Like, you know, I don't even really think about it too much. What about the theory of I go barefoot because I want to be better connected to the Earth's magnetic field? If that's the case, I'm an immortal. (laughs) <laughs> just like like Highlander on television, yeah. Um, I, there's lots of scientific data that shows that. So if um, in in again as a teacher, we have to do a lot of research all the time. And there's lots and lots of research that people who go without shoes, especially if you're under 25, when your body is still developing, you will get a much better immune system, and you'll get a much better uh, muscular skeletal system develops better outside of shoes. So anything that you put on your body causes a restriction, specifically shoes, right? Women in high heels is a perfect example that it changes for, you know, however you're feeling about it. As a man, I think that's attractive. But as, um, you know, if you're looking at it from a doctor's perspective, they are not because they damage your, how your body walks. Um, So you do get exposed to a lot more stuff, bacteria on the ground. You get exposed to all the stuff in the, er again, magnetic field stuff. Um, So it is very good for you and very healthy. Studies have been done that even though barefooters are dirty hippies in society as they can get considered, it's actually (laughs) better for your body. It makes your immune system work a little harder, right? It's like getting lazy. You know, the more... um, the less you work, the less you want to work. So your body is like, oh, all this stuff is being thrown at me, all these different uh, you know, bacteria that I have to fight off and stuff, and it actually helps build your immune system. And that's documented proof. That's not just my conjecture. Um, as well, things that I notice over time is your body just toughens up. Like guys who play drums or guitar or whatever, you start and your fingers and are sore, but then over time your body builds up. Um, they call it callus, but it's actually just thickening skin. It's not actually callous do you stuff, ever get do you so. ever get pedicures yourself no you don't bother i should shit. i guess I fancy should. shit like pedicures <laughs> i should to make you know so i look better for customers my wife my insists that. that i get a pedicure and my daughter Brittany does the pedicures because oh, she nice. works at white oaks as an esthetician oh that's very cool so so i get pedicures at a discounted rate nice. and my daughter comes to my house I sit in my favorite chair, and off she goes, working on my toes. Wow, that sounds very metro for both of us. <laughs> I like that. Toe rings, you wear them? Yeah, you're I name. do. I, you know, I, I do. Um, it, it's a strange story. You know, with men, things are very utilitarian. I'm sure you will agree, whether it's our anything that we wear. Yes. Oh, geez, when I was a teenager, I had a toe ring, and I'm like, I feel weird. I'm going to take it off. And then I dropped a concrete block on my foot, and the toe ring protected it from breaking my toe. It flattened it, <laughs> and I'm like... I'm on to something here. And then it just never came off, and that was 20-some-odd years ago. I remember seeing you with, with toe rings. And I just thought, one. Oh, was it yeah, just the just one? one? Not rings. Just one. Ring. Not plural, just one. Yeah. One toe ring. And, um, like, where would people buy toe rings? Amazon? Um, or you know, I, any I guess. Any ring can be a toe ring? Any ring can be. Yeah, it's like, you know, there's lots of weird things. Any ring can be a toe ring if you're brave enough. Now, what that toe sounds? do you put the ring on? Uh, mine is on my third toe, I guess, for no real reason. Yeah. There's no real... Um, in North America, there's no real reason for there's any no of it. There's no symbolic reason. thing. I just wear because, you know, I don't really wear a lot of jewelry. I'm really rough on everything I do. So I just, I, it's down there and it's shiny. And I look down and it's like, ooh, shiny. And that's just decoration, I guess. That's the only reason. You gave me yeah. a beautiful chain once and I still have it. Oh, yes. The, uh, what was it? It was like a, a knit chain mail chain with like a dog head on it, I think. Or it was just the chain. Yes, yeah, yes. And it's, uh, yeah, very, yeah very, I have very one cool. of those. I have a, I missed it actually when you got it and I went and I bought another one. 
yeah, 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 and uh, I, I love that chain. I think of you every time I put it on. Um, let's talk about barefoot bushcraft sure this is your school it is so uh, again professional teacher uh, I worked all over Ontario doing all kinds of outdoorsy things teaching rock lock climbing um, scuba instructor all that sort of stuff um, then as time went on I decided I wanted to be home more so I started my own organization uh, so the number one thing that we teach people want to come out for is archery so people love the bow they love the arrow um, we do axe throwing knife throwing um, we teach people who are interested in black powder shooting, so they want to learn like the old-fashioned way that they shot guns, like you know, a hundred, two hundred years ago. So I want to learn. This you want to? We'll have to have you out one day for I want to learn it. Uh, we teach that at the Dunville Hunters Club, so we learn how you know you learn how to pack the powder charge. So you pour the pour the gunpowder in, you pack the you put the wadding in, you pack the ball, and then it's it's you a different the experience. Wad in? The, put the wad in. Yeah. Put the wad yeah. in, and then you pack the pack the charges, um, and then of course we teach the general survival stuff how to make fire um, how to survive in the woods what you should take when you go out in, into a park so if I'm going out on a day hike I should always what happens if you get hurt what happens if you get injured and you can't yeah. get out of that spot yeah and um, please I mean we're going to highlight all the things you do at your your awesome survival school but just for the listeners what do you recommend that they pack if they go on a day hike yeah that's really great especially if you're with your dog Right, because you're yes. gonna go. Most people who have dogs, we spend a lot more time in nature than someone who has cats, right? Because it's just the dog wants to go out, and you have that in your brain. I'm not going out for me. I'm going out for my dog, yep. and I have the same. Some days I don't want to go out, but I go out for them. So you always want to look up uh, something called the ten C's of survival, and that is a category of ten items to bring with you. And I can just sort of go through some yes, of them. Please, so please things give like us, give us the ten. Yeah. So things like a container. So you need a container to keep <laughs> stuff in, to boil water in. You want some cordage, so always like some kind of cable, cord. We use paracord, which is a nylon rope. You want to bring that with you, right? You want to bring candling, it, it, so something that you can bring that will illuminate. Your phone does a lot of that, right? Because um, phones don't always work in the wilderness when you're away from cellular towers. Good point. Right? So you want uh, headlight is a good thing to bring, right? Or um, I recommend people bring those glow sticks, right? Um, Very good. Yeah. The headlight, the glow sticks. Yeah, just so you always want to think, like, what if I manage to get stuck somewhere? What am I going to end up doing in order to, to be, you know, think of your dog. Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. If I'm incapacitated, um, what am I going to do with my dog? So of course, that's water. what it says, sort of 10 Cs. Yeah, so you want to bring water and you want to bring combustion devices. So something that is really a big, big thing, make sure you can start a fire. Right, and with that, we always say there should be three things. Um, getting into the survival mentality of what we call the rule of three. So you want three items to start a fire: matches, you want a um, lighter, and then you want something called a ferro rod. It's like a little metal rod that creates sparks. Right? You want some kind of cover. Think of you know, other than if you do live in the country and you don't want to, and you can go out naked into the woods, what do you have to protect you? Your primary shelter is your clothing. Right, so you want to make sure you have all your proper clothing on, and then maybe a tarp or something like that, or something that if the weather gets bad, you can, you can sort of make sure that you can cover yourself up, right? And then a cotton bandana, big thing, right? People wear them as hats sometimes historically, right? You can use it for filtering water. If your dog gets injured, you can use that for first aid, right? Like a triangular bandage. Multi-purpose. Yeah, everything for needs sure. to have. Every item you carry should have at least three uses. Right. Look at your knife, for example, your cutting tool. 
obviously you can do lots with your knife. So that's what we want to have in our backpack. That's right. Yeah, 10 items. And speaking of so, hiking, you have hiked in some pretty incredible places yeah, all within the, place. the Niagara Peninsula. Even in Niagara. Beyond. Yeah. Um, Niagara's got some really – I don't live in Niagara anymore, but it has some really great places. Uh, the Bruce Trail cuts through Niagara, which is uh, one of the Canada's – I think it's Canada's oldest and one of our longest hiking trail. It's around 1,000 kilometers, give or take. starts in Queenston, Ontario, right near the border. goes all the way up to Tobermory. Uh, I hiked it end-to-end in 2009. That changed my life. We call that a vision quest, apparently, where you uh, yep. you have multiple steps, so you are removed from your family, you go through hardship, uh, and then you get reborn into something new at the other end, and that is exactly what happened on that trip. I went into it working at an office as a teacher in a call center, um, and then I came out of it being, no, the, the wilderness is where my passion in life is. That's where I'm going. Um, and then I changed everything about my life then. Became a teacher and taught outdoor skills. Awesome. So let's highlight some of the other things that people can learn if they go to your school called Barefoot Bushcraft. Yeah. So oddly, first thing we call it Barefoot Bushcraft. It, it love had, the name. had nothing to do with not wearing shoes, although that really stuck and our customers love that. Yes. It was more like, you know, when you go to India and they have Barefoot University, Barefoot Doctors, Barefoot Inventors. It's more of a concept of primalism yeah. um, rather than actually in North America not wearing shoes. But so people can wear shoes. They can if they, they want. Absolutely. school, yep. they don't have to be barefoot. <laughs> That's correct. And they can yep. be clothed. They can, yes. Since we've yes. joked so much about um, nudeness yeah that. and i get that question more often than i care to admit but if you come to our facility it is not clothing optional all right <laughs> and people ask that i get that yeah that's a whole other conversation but that ha- does happen from time to time yeah so anyways um yeah so we have a big uh thing on fire if you want to learn fire what's called friction fire rubbing two sticks together it is one of the most glorious things to learn how fast and, and empower not that fast you need to be able to breathe so when we have people operating the equipment so you have the, your your stick um and all the stuff that you use so you need a burn board a stick called a hearth um a spindle and a cap if you don't know what that is, it's all right. Um, so you're pushing down on the on the cap, making the spindle turn, and we tell people, breathe, talk to me, tell me about your day. And what that does is slow you down and make sure you're, the, the spindle focuses. It's about downward pressure, and it's about focus rather than speed and anger. Wow. And then at the very last second, there's things that we look for and how what happens, certain colors of smoke, and then we're like, now give her! <laughs> And then you go like as fast and as hard as yeah, you yeah. can. <laughs> yeah, and then like it's somebody spits. playing a violin really yes. fast. Yes, it's a absolutely. Good analogy, eh? Not bad. Eh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, just give her, and that's usually my exact phrase. Just give it hell. Just give her, uh, and then it pukes out a coal, and then you put the coal into a bunch of grasses, and um, then from there you'll blow it into a fire. And it's the same with flint and steel. So very few people know that the coast of Lake Erie has the largest deposit of church in the world. And that's basically North American flint. Where I live, 8,000 years ago, there was actually a settlement there. And the settlement, the early Paleolithic settlement, they actually mined chert there to trade. Um, So it's kind of cool to go out into these, especially when you're like in your bare feet and you're in the woods and you're like, there were people just like me who thought like me and had the exact same hopes and dreams 8,000 years ago standing right here looking out at the same piece of water that I'm looking at. And it's like that, to me anyway, that's part of the nature immersion, right? 
Yeah. And again, crazy. lots of people, when they go out into the woods where they feel it's safe, you know, you take your socks and shoes off and you do get a greater connection. You get, um, when you're a, a new barefooter, we tell people it feels like pain because you're getting a massive amount of new sensory input and data into your body that your d- body doesn't know what it is. So they're like, you know what, closest thing, this hurts. But it actually doesn't. It's like um, if you're not used to going without your shirt and you take it off and you're doing yard work, it feels weird, right? Because your your body's not used to all that feedback. So yeah. it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, there's one thing that I think you should be doing at your school. But what do I know, right? <laughs> uh, I think you should be teaching fire walking. Fire and you walking, and I had a yes. conversation about this before. Yes. Because you've done fire walking for, uh, I believe, personal empowerment. I've done fire walking for personal empowerment at a separate workshop than the one you went to. And, and I think that that was a fascinating experience for me. And I know you enjoyed your experience. A lot of empowerment stuff. We're actually planning on, we're just trying to set a date on, it's called a couple of female empowerment workshop. And we're cool. going to be doing where you take, you, you take the arrow and you shoot the arrow at the target. And then you pick it up and you put it on your neck and you break it with your neck. I love it. Um, uh, that's a very common thing that you yeah, do. We, and we fire did arrow walking. breaking. We did arrow yes, breaking yes. at ours. Uh, we're just what we do is take it one step further by making you shoot the arrow first, imprinting in your mind it's real. Like that's a real arrow, and you just shot it at a target and it put a hole in it. Now we're going to put it on you. And now we're going <laughs> to break it with your goddamn throat. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, and then a fire walk, and then we're going to have some a native healing lady and stuff like that. Um, so we'll do coming. one for guys yeah. too, because I want to be there. Yeah, I I would love to do that, uh, to do like a uh, uh, like a men men men's mentoring thing. Lots of grunting like Tim Allen. <laughs> we make you know what? Everybody can wear the kilt, right, yeah, for yeah. the firewalk. Yeah. Yeah, just to make It'll it ex- extra. We manly. don't want the kilt too short, right? We don't want it to catch fire. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and you have to use a certain type of wood. When you firewalk, like a, a low sap, that, yes. a low sap content yeah. in the wood, right? Because uh, we, we, we have a saying at our facility that hurt is okay, harm is not. So we don't want to harm anybody. What else can we expect to learn in your roster of services at the Barefoot Bushcraft? Uh, we, we do a lot uh, of survival school. We do a lot operate. of like team survival things. So offices will come out with all the people and they're like, hey, we just want some kind of connection thing. So people these days, they're craving that nature connection. And we saw a lot of that during the pandemic that we just went through where we were separated from everything. Um, but for the most part, nature was available. And people went out and they're like, wow, this is really great. We saw a massive explosion after that because you couldn't go anywhere because there was travel restrictions, but you could go into nature. So people were discovering themselves, discovering nature. Connecting um, with nature Connecting again, with good nature. Thing. Um, so we have like office parties. So you could bring your office staff out and we go through, you know, they do knife throwing and archery and stuff. And then we do like some of the primitive skills and uh, stuff like that. We've done canoe trips for companies before where we take them all out in canoes and stuff like that. Uh, but a, bi- a, big fu- a big functionality of our organization is bringing you to nature and doing more, right? There's more you can do than just walk around with your dog in nature. You could build shelters out of natural materials. You can learn how to create fires. You can learn how to filter water. You can learn how to look up and say, okay, I'm in the northern hemisphere. I've been awake for four or five hours now, so I know where the sun is. Now you can learn where your direction is. Right, you can without a compass. Without a compass, if of you course. lost a compass, of course, you could you um, could teach people how 
to know where to go. That's right. It's called natural navigation. Yeah. 99% of the time, the, the wind comes from the west and flies to the east because the way, if assuming you believe the earth is a sphere and it's round, uh, if not, I don't know how it works, but assuming it's a sphere, <laughs> it's going one way, which pushes the air the other way, right? And, you can, and then you can look at the trees. The, most trees point east. So if you look out at the distance, you'll see all the trees leaning in one direction. That's because the wind has been pushing them from when they were saplings from the west to the east, and they all have a slight bend to them. Do you accept children in your survival school? Not, we try to keep nine uh, is, our, is our youngest. Nine and years old nine years and old up. And up. And the yeah. reason is, is there's a lot of theory behind it. So if we've had, we've tried it with like parents are like, my kid's really smart. So oh, yeah. they'll bring them out. And then we get into say And you're like, knife no, crack. your kid's dumb, honey. Your kid's <laughs> no, really dumb. As a no, teacher, you can't, I can't say, say that. that. I'm right? not allowed to say that. I may think that from time to time, but yeah. I do never consider that. But you keep that. it in there. <laughs> That's right. Um, so even doing like knife work, so you're holding a knife and we show you the proper knives to get for survival and bushcraft use, good ones, bad ones, um, what works, what doesn't, what could be better. Um, so when it's a lot of theory and the, if you're under nine years old, the theory is really hard and boring. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. If you're not nine, if you're young. So they go and they hang out and pet the dogs and the parents take this, <laughs> take the workshop. Yeah. Um, but yeah, using it, there's a, a cliche in the bushcraft industry, your knife, your life. If you've got a knife, you will probably be okay, right? It's the number one tool. And, and if you don't have a knife, you could be up Shit's Creek without a paddle. You could, <laughs> yes, no yes, but you know what I would do? If you have the chert, you've got a knife. All because right. the flint and the steel, if you can get a sharp enough rock, it will cut. Nice. Yeah. Nice, yeah. What else do you do at Barefoot Bushcraft Survival School? Uh, summer camp is a big, big thing. Our next thing that we actually have is a Mother's Day event, thinking of May. So if you uh, have a mother figure in your life, you can book to come out and see us. And then you will get a, uh, a one-hour experience, half-hour archery, half-hour axe and knife throwing. And then you there's a craft table. So you can make craft for mom, and everything is provided for you. And then the mom comes for free. So it's $35 a guy or a person to come out ahead, and mother figure, one mother figure per group can come out for no charge. So it's we awesome. try to do that. Very exciting. Yeah. I had a really good experience one time when I came out to see you, and you taught me a little bit about archery, and I shot the, the crossbow. That's right. Yeah. It, was, it was exhilarating. And that was, to think... That was over a decade ago, my friend. Yeah. Yeah, because I was just, we were just in our I want to do it again. I've yeah. got to call you up. Got to phone you up sometime. Um, yeah, and, t and then we do a lot of, like, the, like I said, a big focus on fire. Um, and fire is one of those things, it's everywhere in our lives, whether we believe it or not. So, like, what's inside your car? You have fire, and you put your fuel in your car, it ignites in the, in, in the engine, you've got fire, right? Your house is heated by fire. You go down into the basement, you pull the panel off, and your, uh, propane, no, it's either propane or natural gas, there's a little box of fire down there. You heat your food with fire, right? You cook your food with fire. It, it Proper name for a gun, firearm. So it powers our war. It powers our cars. It cooks our food. It keeps us warm. Fire's everywhere. If you come out... There's a lot of fire under my ass in this case. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a go-getter. Uh, uh, and if you, if, if, if you go to my, um, to my property and it's 40 degrees Celsius, sweat's beating down your face, you're dying and I make a fire, you're going to sit near it. It's because we are genetically pre-programmed to be drawn to fire as humans. Yes. Um, so there's a big focus on that. And all the dogs I've had love coming close to the fire. And some That's of them cool. will walk to the campfire and just lay there and wait for me. Yeah. yeah I mean, some of it are... is a conditioned response, but you believe that they're, 
you know, innately drawn to it in some way. Absolutely. Yes, of course. And that's through the bonding of, uh, of dogs. So originally we thought dogs were in humans with humans for 11,000 years. Then they went to Siberia and they found 30,000 years of dogs being with humans. So everything we do, they do, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so how would people reach you if they wanted to hook up with you, take some seminars, take some workshops, take some courses from your school, Barefoot Bushcraft? Yeah, thanks. Um, so barefootbushcraft.com is the best way. You can go on there and it shows pretty much all the stuff that we're doing. We do a lot of one-off seminars. So if we get a bunch of people that are interested in making shoes, for example, we'll do a moccasin making workshop, uh, stuff like that, or like the dog sledding workshop or dog workshops. Um, so we do stuff like that. We do a lot of dog um, stuff, camping with your dog and things that you need to take. So like a dog, uh, a dog camping workshop, you know, what kind of packs are appropriate for your dog? Because as you know, if you put your do your pack on wrong on your dog, you can harm your dog, right? You can hurt them. Certainly. Uh, so it's certainly important to choose the right pack. What I'm curious about is what you put into yourself as far as diet, because I mean, you're a man that lives very deliberately, uh, you know, you, you get you get a lot of benefit uh, mentally, a lot of satisfaction from your passions, your work. Like, I'm assuming that you must have a specific diet. Am Doritos. I wrong? Doritos. 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 You just Doritos. Doritos. Please. <laughs> what kind of Doritos? The chili heat? No, Fire? Uh, the, the original. Heat? The original. Yeah? Yeah, those orange ones. Um, so you're a meat eater. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I eat meat Fish, eater. Fish meat. Uh, that sort of thing. Deer? I, I do love deer when I'm when I when I'm able to get it. I don't hunt. Uh, it's something I've always wanted to do, especially like where I live. I literally open my door and there's deer everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's not uncommon for me to open my day. Now you hunt with uh, your camera. That's right, hunt with my camera. That's correct. Um, and a lot of wild edible stuff. So you go out in into the woods. And I can literally get an entire meal from just wandering around in the woods. Right now, there's a, there's a special little flower called a trout lily. And if you know how to harvest it ethically, uh, know how to harvest it where dogs haven't peed on it. When you eat it, it, t <laughs> it tastes. And it These has, are a bit pissy, love. Right. <laughs> These flowers are a bit pissy. And people will say, well, how do I know? You know. If you put that in your mouth and it's been peed on, you no one needs to explain it to you. Even if you have you. no experience right. with urine <laughs> in your mouth That's prior right. to this, you'll know. You will know, yeah. <laughs> um, but trout lily tastes and has a consistency of apple. So it has that really? same that same feel, you know, when you bite into an apple and it has, I can't really describe it, like a foam kind of feel when you eat it, it looks and tastes just like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what berries to eat, what berries That's not correct. to eat. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, all this stuff, yeah. And so... You're on Instagram. That's right, Barefoot Bushcraft on Instagram. And you're on right. Facebook. Facebook, same thing, Barefoot Bushcraft, YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. So almost every week we're putting out information about you know what to eat, what not to eat, what knives to choose, uh, things like that. We do a lot of forest school because we run a forest school. So if you have your kids want to come out and they want to spend a day learning for stuff, you can sign up for the forest school. So that is a replacement for standard school. Not all people today which is a really wonderful thing in society they realize we don't all learn the same so some people they they just not good at school but you put them out in the woods and it's like i want you to catch three different frogs and identify those frogs and those kids that in school are just hellions and run around and they're not learning anything and they're just making a mess they will go out into the woods and have like laser focus 
and be like, I know you wanted three frogs, but I caught four. And this, look how weird these frogs are. And then go and do the research as to what those frogs are without me directing them to do that kind of research. But if they were in a school classroom in science class, this is the leopard frog and it lives in our, you know, the North American area and blah, 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 and all that stuff, they'll be like, this sucks. But when you go out there and you get that, bring that wonderment, and that, I, I think that's a big thing that we do at Barefoot Bushcraft, is try to bring the wonderment of nature back into your life. To realize that, yes, our life is dominated by modern day science, but once you distance yourself from that, you can use the science as a parallel to wonderment, right? Uh, of just saying, well, how awesome is this? Look at this amazing tree or this plant. or And then you bring that wonderment of why, and that's where the science comes in, right? Of why is this frog here and not somewhere else? Or what would be the proper name for the frog? Or how do they reproduce? Or all that. What does the frog sound like? Um, we teach bird song workshops. So, like when you, you go out, we do. Video. Yeah, absolutely, oh we do. Um, you know, when you go out into the forest, most people don't know that the birds will tell the forest you're there, and all you need to do is understand what's going on. Conversely, if I'm out into the woods and I'm sitting and I hear a bunch of birds freaking out somewhere, I'm like something's over there, whether it be a human or a coyote or something. The birds are, we call say the birds are the newspapers of the forest, so they will broadcast what's going on. You just need to know what to look for. I've always found you to be a sweet, trippy, awesome human <laughs> being. I'm so glad you were able to join me on Unleashed. Yes, with thank me you so right much. Here. Well, thank you once again. Give everyone your website. Yeah, sure. Uh, www.barefootbushcraft.com Thanks, my friend. Have yourself a doggone great day. Thank you. All right, and you guys take care of yourselves. Talk to you soon. Dave McMahon, out. <laughs>